0: Today, from the global lane, targeting Trump supporters and disturbing global parallels.
1: This kind of thing are exactly happening in China. They're using the similar tactics with the same playbook.
2: Joe Biden's Green New Deal. Economic disaster ahead for the USA. It's costing jobs and it's costing energy independence for the whole of North America. Erasing families. Parental custody attitudes are harming America's
0: children.
3: They are taught to hate or reject a parent.
0: And political speech on trial. And it's all right here on the Global Lane. Called crazy, censored, blacklisted, and beyond. Americans are being rooted out and punished for their support of President Trump. This vile treatment smacks of McCarthyism with even more disturbing global parallels. Dale Hurd brings us this alarming report.
1: This was an attorney for PBS caught on camera saying the children of Trump supporters should be taken away from their parents and put in re-education camps. He was later fired, while voices in the media still call for Trump supporters to be deprogrammed. There are millions of Americans, uh, almost all white, almost all Republicans, who somehow need to be deprogrammed.
0: And the question is, how are we going to really almost deprogram these people who have signed up for the cult of Trump?
1: Trump's supporters are also being called mentally ill and are being censored, doxed, deplatformed, blacklisted, and demonetized. It's giving some who have lived in communist countries flashbacks. For those who lived under communist dictatorships, What's happening in America has some disturbing parallels. Chinese pastor Bob Fu was a student leader during the Tiananmen Square pro-democracy demonstrations in 1989. He was also a proud attendee of the January 6th Trump rally on the National Mall. He says the call to re-educate and deprogram Trump supporters is straight out of the Chinese Communist Party playbook. It's absolutely uh, these kind of tactics. Uh, they all requires forced conformity. And if you don't comply, then you will be punished elizabeth rogliani's family had to flee venezuela when hugo chavez took power her video warning last year to americans about the similarities between the antifa and black lives matter rioting and what happened in venezuela went viral
3: i've already lived through this thing when i was living in venezuela
1: She says the labeling of Trump supporters as potential domestic terrorists was a tactic Hugo Chavez used to stigmatize his political opposition.
3: Calling out opposition or Republicans as terrorist or fascist. That is the kind of language I saw a lot. Uh, Late President Hugo Chavez used to call us fascist and terrorist as well.
1: Rogliani says one ominous sign for America has been all the conservatives flocking to more secure messaging platforms like Telegram, because that's exactly what happened in Venezuela when the Democratic opposition was deplatformed and opposition leaders began to be arrested.
3: We jumped into Telegram really early on, so I had it for years. I find that very interesting how it's happening so fast here.
1: Jason Poblet's grandfather had to flee Cuba when Fidel Castro took power. Poblet, an attorney who has worked in Congress, is president of the Global Liberty Alliance and says what happened in Cuba is replaying in the United States. Dale, it's painful to watch. It's not something that I ever thought... I would see in the United States, in Cuba, the socialist facilitators had been laying the groundwork. And by the time Fidel Castro rolled in, uh, they had already laid that framework in place to take the government over. If his grandfather, who loved America deeply, was alive today to see how Trump supporters are being demonized, he would be scared. And then he would tell me, hey, Jason, what are you doing about it? (laughs) Because you can't go anywhere. I mean, this is it. There's nowhere for us to go.
0: Dale Hurd joins us to provide more insights. You also talked to German evangelist Heidi Munt, Dale, for this story. So what did she tell you about her experience uh, growing up in East Germany, the parallels with what's happening today?
1: She was very politically incorrect, Gary. Um, The first thing she said was, of course, we know East Germany was called the German Democratic Republic. And she said, uh, your Democrats remind me of the old East Germany. Uh, she feels like it's the same spirit, uh, people calling themselves Democrats, but they're really socialists or even communists. So, yeah, she had a lot of talk like that. She, she had grown up an ardent communist, turned against the government, and then paid the price. Her career came to a dead stop. She couldn't work anymore. She talked about how people were taken to mental hospitals as a form of punishment, the dissidents, which, of course, we know was widespread across the Soviet bloc, and how they took, they took children away from dissidents, like uh, my story mentioned, they'd like to do to Trump supporters.
0: And Democrats make no secret deal of their desire to prevent Donald Trump from running for office again. And I'm sure that reminds you of the tactics of Stalin, the poisoning and imprisonment of Putin's opponent, Alexei Navalny, and recently
1: in Russia. And tell, tell us more about that. Well, you know what it says? It says, just like a communist dictator who wasn't elected, they're paranoid that they wouldn't win another election against Trump because uh, he's still very popular. It's it's curious, Gary, how he could have lost the election when he's so popular. And, and it to me, it speaks volumes about perhaps, is this an admission that they know that uh, Joe Biden was fraudulently elected? And they want to make sure that this political opposition, you know, stays out of their way. It's very... It's very telling, I think, what what they're trying to do to Trump.
0: And there's another big parallel in Latin America, the comparison of Antifa here in the USA with militants in Venezuela, known as the colectivos. Tell us about them. Yeah,
1: yeah. They look surprisingly like Antifa, Um, you know, masks, except these guys just carried guns openly. They rode around on scooters and terrorized uh, the Democratic opposition. They were the muscle of Hugo Chavez's revolution. Just as some argue, Antifa is the muscle of the left in this country. Um, you know, making it plain to shop owners, to business people, to residents in whatever city that if, if you're a Trump supporter or you, you're not, you know, a, a going along with our party line that you, you may take a physical toll for it, or your house may be attacked, you may be beat up.
0: Thanks for your excellent story and for providing those additional insights, Dale. Thank you, Gary. Driving America toward a clean energy future, Green New Deal or something else? President Joe Biden's ambitious executive actions on climate change may end up costing U.S. taxpayers trillions of dollars. Here to break it down and explain the potential impact on American workers is Dr. Patrick Moore. He was a co-founder of Greenpeace. He currently sits on the board of the CO2 Coalition. Dr. Moore is author of the book, Fake Invisible Catastrophes and Threats of Doom. Dr. Moore, it's great having you with us. So first, let's look at Joe Biden's order that commits the United States to rejoin the Paris Agreement on climate change. So what effect might that have on the U.S. economy?
2: It will have the effect of allowing China to continue growing its emissions along with India and many other countries, uh, which... I I don't doubt that they feel like they should do that, but for the United States to artificially constrict itself without other countries agreeing to doing the same thing, first off, is ridiculous. And secondly, the United States is the only industrialized country that has reduced its CO2 emissions over the last 10 years because of substituting natural gas for coal in electricity production primarily. The, The wind and solar people take credit for it, but that is not the truth. The truth is that coal has gone down and gas has gone up, and gas has only 50% of the CO2 emissions of coal. So naturally, CO2 emissions go down when you do that. The Chinese have just built more new coal plants in the last year than the whole rest of the world put together. I don't understand why the United States would do such a thing when the Chinese are pretending that they are going to start phasing out fossil fuels in 2060, you know, like... That's 40 years from now, and it's costing jobs, and it's costing energy independence for the whole of North America, because not only is the U.S. on this kick, but the Canadian politics in the East are trying to destroy the oil sands in the West. And they have the US, whole U.S. environmental movement on their side, along with the Rockefeller Brothers Foundation in New York. They say they're fighting climate change. No. They're fighting fossil fuels. It's a war on fossil fuels. They can't change the climate. They have no idea what they're doing when they say they think they can change the climate by ending the use of fossil fuels. It is a fairy tale. I want, to
0: talk, I want to talk a little bit more about the agenda, but it seems that we're returning To the obama era policy of shifting the country away from oil and gas production energy workers and industry officials as you know are angry over that they're losing their livelihood some politicians uh, suggest well these job losses can be minimized if we just produce more solar panels and windmills your thoughts it's
2: not possible to replace reliable cost-effective energy that comes from fossil fuels hydroelectric and nuclear power with technology that is intermittent, really intermittent, like sometimes three days it goes away. That's why hospitals are putting in huge diesel generator sets in order to be ready for these blackouts, because they can't do without power. Uh, They have to have it 24-7, and wind and solar can't do that. Every time you build a wind and solar farm, you have to build something else that is reliable to back it
0: up. So I'm assuming you don't buy into this premise that we're going to experience more monster storms, flooding, natural disasters. If we don't act quickly, we may have a short time before the seas rise and the world comes to an end. So what's the real agenda
2: here? Well, I would first like to know what the world coming to an end actually looks like. That's such a stupid thing to say. The world isn't going to come to an end, isn't, and neither is life on Earth going to come to an end. They are playing on people's belief in things that are invisible and or so remote that no one can see them for themselves. Those are the fake invisible catastrophes, like the giant Pacific garbage patch twice the size of Texas in the middle of the Pacific Ocean where no one can see whether it's there or not. It is not there. It does not exist. It is a total fake thing that CNN is playing up as something real out there in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, twice the size of Texas. It's not there. All the plants that produce the basis of life in the sea, it's the phytoplankton, which are tiny plants. On land, it's all the forests and fields that you see growing plants. That is the basis of life. And they live because carbon dioxide is in the atmosphere. And the fact is, carbon dioxide is at at one of its lowest points in the history of Earth, the long history of Earth. And here we have made up this fantasy that carbon dioxide is a pollutant that it's like toxic or something, it's absolute rubbish. But because you can't see it, you can't observe for yourself what it's doing. You can't look over and say, look what the CO2 is doing over there, because you can't see it. So they can make up any story they want. And then, because the average person can't observe it for themselves, we have to depend on the activists, the media, the politicians, and the scientists on serial government grants for the truth. Why would they tell us the truth when their whole careers depend upon us believing their fake scare story? Follow the science,
0: the real science, and follow the money. Okay, Dr. Patrick Moore of the CO2 Coalition, thank you so much for sharing your insights.
2: Pleasure to be with you, Gary.
0: Choosing Sides kids caught in the middle of contentious parental divorce. Nearly 22 million parents won't see one or more of their children after divorce or separation, and that's likely to have a lasting, harmful effect on kids. Well, joining us is Ginger Gentile, the former executive director for the National Parents Organization. Ms. Gentile is director and producer of the film Erasing Family. It's a documentary available on Amazon Prime starting this Valentine's Day, February 14th. Ginger, thank you for being with us. So choosing sides, you know the harmful effects from your own experience. Tell us what's happening to children. What's the worst part of it all?
3: The worst thing that happens to kids after divorce is that they are taught to hate or reject a parent. And often they can, this can start out very subtle, just bad-mouthing the other parent. Instead of saying your mom or your dad, saying him or her, calling them by their first name. Or even saying subtle things like, oh, I miss you when you go see the other parent. I feel bad. I wish you would stay with me. Or grilling them about what happened at the other parent's house. And over time, kids can learn that if they reject one parent, they gain the love and affection of another parent. But what's even more tragic is often this can spread to the entire family. So they end up rejecting grandparents, aunts, uncles, even siblings.
0: Oh, so it has a trickle-down effect, actually, not just the kids or the parents, but grandparents as well. Now, we often hear estranged fathers argue, I'm paying my child support, so shouldn't I get to see my child? But also, shouldn't a mom or dad who's not paying child support still get to be with their child? Maybe uh, they're unemployed or they've fallen on hard financial times. And wouldn't a connection with the child, seeing them regularly kind of inspire them to be, I guess, more involved with their child financially? Tell us about the money aspect.
3: So money, unfortunately, is a huge part of the family court system. First of all, family court, you have no right to an attorney. So if you want to go to court, you have to hire an attorney. Legal fees can start at $200, $300 an hour. And also, a lot of parents can't afford that. So about 60 percent of parents or more have to represent themselves. And many parents end up walking away from family court because they can no longer afford the court fees. But as you pointed out, A lot of parents pay child support and can't see their kids, and in family court, child support and visitation are two completely separate matters. One has nothing to do with the other. So you can pay child support and not be able to see your child because the other parent doesn't let you. It's very hard to take the other parent to court because they are not honoring a custody agreement. It's very costly. Also, there's a lot of parents who aren't paying child support, but we know from countless studies and talking to families that that parent can still play an important role in their child's life. We also find that, as you pointed out, a lot of parents are unemployed or too poor to pay their child support. These fees are set very high. And again, if you wanna lower the fees, you have to go back to court and often you need an attorney to do so because the process is very complicated.
0: Okay, one solution I understand is the idea of shared parenting. That's 50-50 default custody. Now, it seems like a common-sense approach to most people.
3: Not only is shared parenting or joint custody or sometimes it's called 50-50 common sense, but research shows that this is what's best for kids. Adult children of divorce wish they had more equal time with both kids. And recent polling by the National Parents Organization shows that over 90% of U.S. citizens, up to 99% in certain states like Florida, support shared parenting. The crazy thing is there's only two states in the U.S. that have shared parenting, default shared parenting on the books, Kentucky and Arizona. And this legislation, despite it being very popular with voters, is being stopped by bar associations and family lawyers, who right now are making a lot of money with these long custody battles. All shared parenting would say, default shared parenting, is that parents start on an equal playing field, that they both have a right to see their child equally after divorce, and that this is what's best for the child unless there's other circumstances.
0: All about the kids, isn't it? Okay, the film is Erasing Family, available for viewing on Amazon Prime starting this Valentine's Day, February 14th. Ginger Gentile, thank you for setting us straight today.
3: Thank you so much, Gary, for having me and for sharing the message of Erasing Family with your viewers.
0: Donald Trump's second impeachment trial began with Democrats alleging that the former president incited the January 6th Capitol Hill riot when he said this.
2: You fight like hell, and if you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore. Trump's
0: lawyers argued he was not advocating that anyone assault members of Congress. When he said fight, he was speaking figuratively, not literally. Instead, they pointed out the hypocrisy of Democrats who also exercise their free speech rights metaphorically. Take a listen to some recent examples from Representative Maxine Waters, Senator Cory Booker, Hillary Clinton, and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi.
1: If you see anybody from that cabinet in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gasoline station, you get out and you create a crowd. And you push back on them, and you tell them Go to the Hill today, get up
3: and please get up in the face of some Congress people. You cannot be civil
0: with a political party that wants to destroy what you stand for, what you care about. The only thing that the Republicans seem to recognize and respect is strength. You're in the arena, you got to be ready to take a punch and you got to be ready to throw a punch for the children. Yes, it's all for the children, but not for unborn children. About a year ago, the new pro-life majority on the U.S. Supreme Court raised the ire of now-Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. Schumer threatened two justices while speaking to a crowd from the steps of the Supreme Court.
2: I want to
1: tell you, Gorsuch. I want to tell you, Kavanaugh. You have released the whirlwind, and you will pay the price.
0: Chief Justice John Roberts responded with a rare rebuke, saying, quote, threatening statements of this sort from the highest levels of government are not only inappropriate, they're dangerous. Indeed, they are. But no one called for the impeachment of Chuck Schumer when some members of the mob that he addressed tried to beat down the door of the Supreme Court building. A similar incident happened at the court in the fall of 2018 when Brett Kavanaugh was confirmed as a Supreme Court justice. Protesters also stormed into the Capitol building and occupied senators' offices, remember that? More than 300 protesters were arrested, but there was no talk of an insurrection. Few members of Congress condemned those aggressive actions as senators prepared to confirm Kavanaugh. Again, the message is, if we agree with your actions and speech, then we've got your back. The rules don't apply. Folks, partiality, unfair treatment, and unconstitutional impeachment trials are not the way forward. And a Jeep commercial featuring Bruce Springsteen won't restore national unity. I wish it were that simple. Americans may only regain trust in Congress and the White House when our elected officials are held accountable for their actions. There must be equal justice for all. If you're going to try a former president for his heated political speech, then you must also try Schumer, Booker, Pelosi, Clinton, and Waters for theirs. The way to unity is to tap down this political rhetoric. Keep cooler heads. Stop jamming through a leftist political agenda that only a minority of Americans support. There must be sincere efforts from our leaders to build consensus. In his letter to the Ephesians, the Apostle Paul reminds us of the path to unity. In Ephesians 4 verses 1 through 3, he urges us to live a life worthy of the calling we have received by being, quote, completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Today, we're seeing mostly retribution on Capitol Hill, not love or olive branches. But you and I can make a difference. Let's not fall into the hate trap. Join me in praying for actions that bring about genuine unity. Pray this political division in America will come to an end. And let's pray these words from Jesus over our nation. Words he spoke to calm the storm. Peace, be still. Well, that's it today from the Global Lane. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, MeWe, and Twitter. And until next time, be blessed.